This is the UFC. This is real life. Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck. This game ain't for the week. Get up here, bitch. The monkey look like little John Jones. So I don't feel sorry for him. This is combat. I pulled that some bitch out and I beat him over the head with it. Good luck with your podcast. Welcome, everybody, to your own personal little piece of MMA history. This is the debut episode of the MMA for Money show. Uh, currently, we're going to be broadcasting to you on YouTube, Stitcher, basically anywhere you could find podcasts except for iTunes. We need to hit a certain threshold before that's available on there for you guys. Um, you may know me. I am MMA State of Mind on Twitter or Bob Voss, your friendly neighborhood garbage man. Any combination of those things. I've been somewhat ever present on uh, the MMA Twitter sphere, especially in terms of betting for the last eight or nine years. You may or may not have caught me on multiple other podcasts, but you know what? We got one going. And you know what? There's no one I would rather have here with me to help break this stuff down and the way we're going to do stuff for this show then Mike Copenhaver or M. Cope. Uh, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful, man. A pleasure to be here with you. Now, you may remember me and Mike on a previous show. This is going to be a very similar format. It's also going to be posted on the same site. Uh, the general way we're going to do things is we're going to review a previous card that we will have previously previewed, but but uh, so we're going to do that this time since last time on um, the previous show we previewed UFC Vancouver. So we will go into that first. Then we'll do minor announcements. L- likely one will be related to the upcoming card. Sometimes breaking fight news. Currently there isn't any. And then we'll preview the upcoming card with at least uh, a unanimous pick and or bet. Or each of us may have one. There may be more in there, but you will at very least have one bet per show which we will review the bet at the end of the show. Now, going into UFC Vancouver, which happened this last weekend, uh, both me and Mike here really, really liked Jim Crute. And I think he very much showed why we liked him. He showed a lot of promise uh, early in the early goings. Uh, even though Cirkinov was able to get him down, he was able to straight just muscle the guy off of him twice and get into an advantageous position. But one of the biggest issues is he got so aggressive when he got into those positions to try to get a finish that he would get re-reversed and put into a bad spot. And Serkinov's chin is still a major issue going forward, but I think Krut uh, has a decently bright future, uh, given how young he is and how limited uh, light heavyweight is. Um, Mike, what's your impression on that fight? Uh, how did you think he did? I know he kind of failed us a little bit because we had a, a bet on him at near even money, but uh, how do you feel about him going forward? forward the fight was and i guess how do you think about Serkinov even going forward well i mean the fight was was a great fight i mean i still he crude still has a lot of upside uh, and misha definitely doesn't have as far as an upside to me after having showing those chin problems again crude just got you know, just super aggressive and overzealous in those positions and with uh, jujitsu, it's position before submission, or in this uh, situation, position before ground and pound. 
if he would have just secured his position better and, and instead of trying to strike so fast when he reversed these these situations, it wouldn't have uh, panned out so badly. But, um, I mean, you, you can't even uh, get mad at getting caught in what he got caught in. It's just the... It's just amazing that uh, Misha could even pull that off after getting pounded, and I'll give him props to that. And it's just the uh, it is what it is. Hopefully, Crute learned a lot from this fight, and we can uh, see him uh, in the future face someone that we can bet him. Well, and I can really see his. Um, we didn't talk about this previously, but I he trained with Robert Whitaker and in his camp a lot for this fight, and I think you can really see. That's starting to rub off on him because, I mean, obviously Robert Whitaker was not a collegiate wrestler, but he has since like shortened up a lot of uh, those uh, shortcomings he had in that category. And I think Crute is starting to go along with that because Serkinov is made before anything. Serkinov is a judo black belt. And it's one of the reasons we thought that Crute uh, was going to win this fight is the fact that Serkinov has fallen so in love with his striking and his chin is nearly non-existent. We thought it was going to be an easy finish. But I just liked him in those uh, ground positions. Uh, like you said, like going back to what you said, he absolutely need to solidify his position first before he started going for uh, any of those bombs or any of the things he was throwing. It's like as he was just easily reversed in those situations. Um, then now the next part we're going to talk about from UFC Vancouver is the Uriah Hall versus uh, a shoe face fight. I have a little bit of issue with this fight. We didn't end up betting it, but I know both you and I were fairly high on Shoeface, and we really thought that he was going to win. We actually sub him, and I, I thought he got really close to doing it in the first round when he was on uh, Uriah Hall's back. I'm not saying I am the best at uh, dis- like judging and decisions, but I- I've watched this fight two or three times, and I thought Shoeface clearly won two of the three rounds and was actually surprised it was even a split. Like, he had full dominance of position and even threatening with submissions for three quarters of two of those rounds, like clearly taking them. Yeah, he got dropped in the second. So I was just thinking that's probably they threw them that way. But in general, I thought he was pressing the action and advancing and yeah, was just kind of shocked by the decision. Um, do you agree with that decision? Disagree? And just overall thoughts on that fight? Yeah, that fight, I, I had scored it for Antonio Carlos Jr. as well. I, I, I thought he'd get it done via sub uh, inside distance, so it didn't matter really in, in, that, in that way. But um, I, I thought he had two rounds to one. I know that uh, Hall had one really good round. But then even then, if he had one good round, then it's a draw, you know, to me. So I, I, they don't give enough draws out. And it really upsets me. I mean, there, there's a lot of fights that they don't have to give a fighter a point over the other fighter. And I just I, I just don't understand why they don't do it more often. And then all of a sudden they'll throw a draw in a fight where we saw someone that we clearly won. So what's the draw for, you know? So it, it's it's frustrating. And it's it's no different than uh, getting screwed in the Barbosa fight. But Barbosa clearly won because he struck better. Maybe the cut that... Um, Hall gave Carlos Jr. gave the judges a little bit of uh, gory f- points. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's it's beyond confusing uh, to me. And actually, you know, I hadn't even thought about that, but I agree uh, with your point on draws. I don't understand what the need to not score a draw is, especially when the rounds are beyond close. I mean, I know there's certain uh, refs out there, fairly high-profile refs, that have said in the past, 
if you have to score around a draw, then you shouldn't be judging. But I don't think that's true because certain things aren't equal. Like, like, like in this fight, it's like there, there were large portions of the fight where Hall was just getting dominated on the ground. Like positionally, all that stuff just being nullified and controlled. But he obviously did a decent amount of damage early on. So even if you weigh damage more, at what point does a third the damage compared to the control start to balance out? So I, I don't know. I guess that was me kind of spitballing, but I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think there needs to be more draws, just more 10-10 rounds in general, and get a little bit looser on the 10-8s, which they were supposed to start doing uh, recently. And you've seen a few more, but nowhere near as many as I would like to see, as, as well as the 10-10 rounds. Now, now, in the next fight, I apologize in advance. I'm going to butcher this last name, because just when I thought I was starting to understand the way Brazilian last names go, this guy had to completely mess with me. So, Michelle Pereira, I'm going to go with, just because it's the 1R rather than the 2, but I'm likely wrong on that. I apologize. Versus Tristan Connolly. Uh, I originally stayed away from this fight, mainly because late notice, and Pereira was on at such a huge dog, I mean, sorry, such a huge favorite uh, against Tristan Connolly, who had stepped in uh, in his native Canada. And I think I've only, I only saw one person right out picking uh, Tristan Connolly, uh, CJ Safdick from the Dogger Pass podcast, he had picked him. But other than that, I didn't see a single person. So I just stayed away from it. So Michelle, Michelle, you can go with that, misses weight. After he misses weight, does a backflip celebration at the weigh-ins, which he doesn't quite make, and then does so much Copwera-style movement in the first round that he gasses, later on says that wasn't the reason that he gassed. I guess, is he just a UFC hype job or like a legit talent? Like, I'm not saying like he's going to fight for a title one day, but like, is he even going to stick around in the UFC? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm not going to lie. He's, he's super, super entertaining. I mean, I knew though, after watching my brother, you know, being in a couple UFCs, I, I, I know that adrenaline dump, and how much it takes to just give that performance even before he got in the ring. It was like he had he had a, a round and a half fight before he even stepped in the octagon. And then he starts doing just, uh, jumping jacks and uh, somersaults and all kinds of backflips and I don't even know what. But um, Connolly is the real story, man. I mean, talk about being um, outsized and, um, you know, no everyone counting you out. And then you come in your own country on six days notice and put on this performance and show the grit and heart that he does. And uh, his jujitsu and uh, positionally defense was just amazing. So I can't I just can't wait to see him at his weight class against some of the guys that have less hype than Michelle had in the in the octagon because he was a you know such a big favorite that day. It was just it was an amazing performance to see Tristan Connolly get this win. I was I was kind of confused on how uh, Connolly got uh, the win bonus uh, for fight of the night, right? For uh, Michelle and him, so yes. he got the hundred. So he got a hundred thousand. But I, I I don't know if you've ever seen, but in the past I, I thought that that the other the other fighter doesn't get the other fighter's purse on that. Yeah, I don't know. Like uh, apparently it's much more of a missing weight thing. Like they were very upset about him missing weight. Yeah. I don't know what the precedent is, but that was their reasoning for doing it. But I agree with you. I'm pretty sure in the past I have seen it where even though 
the guy missed weight, he still got the uh, bonuses. But now they're making all these random rules on if how you can or cannot get a bonus that are somewhat secret, apparently. Like, if you remember, uh, I want to say it was two, three to four years ago, um, Iaquina had said because of him trashing a hotel room that he was going to be ineligible to win a bonus for, like, three three or four fights which as far as yeah. i know isn't any like solid rule it's kind of like situation dependent so yeah i'm not, not really sure about that but that, that was that's a point uh, we're making from before when you were talking about the size thing it's not just that uh michelle missed weight it's that he uh, this was a welterweight fight he missed it by two pounds he used to fight at middleweight so 185 so 170 to 185 but either way tristan Connolly has fought as low as, as 145 and more recently has fought at 155 so all hydrated up there was likely anywhere a difference from anywhere between 20 to 30 pounds between these guys and Tristan Connolly still pulled it off so like what's your thoughts on Tristan Colin Connolly going forward um Canada's always looking for a big star or a new star I'm not saying he's necessarily that this is super early on for that but like just skill wise how do you see him falling in the division especially when he goes to lightweight like you talked about well, I mean, I, I got a little bit of inside information. My, my buddy, uh, he was actually on the commission for UFC Vancouver. His name is Justin. Uh, he was a scorekeeper for the, the fights. And uh, during this bout and after this bout, um, Bruce Buffer came up to my buddy and said, that's, that's what he gets for showboating before the fight. Um, and so, obviously, Bruce Buffer wasn't a fan of, of the dancing and the showboating, and he's been around this octagon for a long time. So... It's it was pretty cool to hear uh, to have my buddy you know send me the the screenshot of his badge and then tell me the the little conversation he had with Bruce Buffer, but with Connolly, um, my buddy Justin just said he's from Vancouver and he loves UFC and that's how we got to know each other and I don't I I only know him because of MMA, and um, if if it wasn't and so he told me that the the roof blew off the building there louder than anything that happened. And it was the the best thing. So he's going to be a huge star out there now. They they've 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 built something they can't they can't stop really. So I think that they they know that and they're going to give him a favorable matchup at 155, 145, wherever he would like to go. I think after uh, helping them after on six days notice that they'll throw him the bone this time and he'll get a full camp and he'll get someone that he can uh, I think uh, show his submission skills and uh, sub them an octagon for us, maybe even in a Canadian card. Now, going a little bit further on the card, we had the return of Todd Duffy after four years away. Uh, he had minor health issues, minor injury issues, minor fight booking issues, a little bit of everything. Um, some people you might say it was a USADA issues if you look at old pictures compared to new pictures, but not one to have any insider information, at least on this fight. Uh, going against Jeff Hughes, who of any of Todd Dovey's past performance probably looked the most like Mike Russo. And if anyone knows how that went in Chicago, it did not go so well for Todd Duffy. Um, but in this fight, Todd Duffy actually seemed to be doing very well early on. He dropped him a few times. He was landing hard. Obviously, he was starting to gas because like the, the, the strikes were getting a little bit wider and just the further away from his body, not protecting his own head. And just when he started to slow down a little bit, there's an eye poke. Or as Todd Duffy says, there's an eye poke. Not 100%. I couldn't necessarily see the, uh, the, whole, the eye situation, but e e either way, uh, 
he makes it very clear he's having issues seeing. He wants more time. But since it's on a groin strike, it's up to the ref to decide. And they end up going with the eye poke. Trying to find a delicate way to put this. I mean, this is just reminding me of not even just the most recent Bellator heavyweight fight, but just this seemed like a Bellator heavyweight fight. Something crazy happening, uh, ref getting involved, getting stopped under nefarious means. Do you think, I don't necessarily want to say, do you think he quit? But I guess, what's your thought on the fight? How Todd Duffy did? How uh, Jeff Hughes acquitted himself? And just over the whole eye poke situation? Well, uh, my opinion is that he, Todd Duffy, 100% uh, bitched out. There's, there's nothing in me that could convince me that he did not want to give up in that, in that fight. I mean, I, I saw maybe a slight poke, but then I saw more of a push away. I mean, it, I, I've, I worked on the ambulance for um, many years, and I've, talk, I've dealt with sick people, uh, concussed, uh, bleeding, whatever it may be. So I, I, I kind of know when I'm, someone's altered or when someone's strong or some, when someone's given up and they're not going to make it. Well, what you can see when Todd Duffy, he, he was verbally giving them the words to, to that would trigger the doctor to come in. Then you know, and then say, "Oh, I'm seeing double." And so, I mean, I there's tough fighters, and then there's Todd Duffy fighters. Todd Duffy is going to get his ass beat in his next fight. Mark my words, he was going to lose this fight because I was on Jeff Hughes. I liked him. I had I picked him, I believe, on the podcast on a quick pick. But um, I, I, I 100% Todd Duffy bitched out. He definitely didn't look bad for the he, for the first three minutes or whatever. He looked decent, but he looked so winded and scared and forgot like. He forgot what it was like to be in there and was so gassed. He was looking for that way out and he found it. Definitely a possibility. Him no showing any podcast or radio interviews the week after the fact isn't looking too good for his case. Um, now, going to the co main event of UFC Vancouver, we're going to talk a little bit about Glover Teixeira versus Nikita Krylov. Now, I've been high on Nikita Krylov for a very long time. I've been waiting for him to like hit that peak on where I think he can be. But I don't necessarily think it's championship level, but like kind of how he like when he's on his winning streaks, he seems like he's the guy. He seems like he's the guy that has the exciting fights, has the finishing ability. Um, he's going to go for broke every time, so he's going to be a tough out for everybody, which is going to keep him in like let's say the top five of the division. But then. You have a fight like against Glover Teixeira, where as much as Glover Teixeira has that veteran savvy, and he, and he used it for sure, he just out-techniqued him on the ground. And, I mean, Krolov seems to be, like, the superior athlete, but I just don't know if he's ever going to, like, shorten up those... Sh- I was about to say shorten up those shortcomings, but sure, why not? We'll go with that. Um, I don't know if maybe uh, a camp change will do. Um, I don't know much about his camp, but it's definitely not one of the main ones. So I guess what's your fight on, what's your idea on the fight, uh, the matchup? I know you liked Krylov. I did too. I got scared away just by how smart Glover's been uh, with how he's fought at the past few uh, hype jobs. And then as far as Nikita Krylov, I guess, is is he is he all or nothing? Is he the fighter that is going to go all out and get that first or second round finish? Or he's just going to lose? What do you think about that? 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> he reminds me of uh, White OSP right now. So um, <laughs> I, I, I just, he just, just disappoints me. He, he's got a lot of skills. He, he just, he gives me one or two rounds every once in a while. He shows up and looks good for those two rounds, and then he doesn't. Then he doesn't show up at all. I'm so disappointed in him. I'm very thankful that I've made a rule a long time ago that you know I've repeated many times, and this will be the first time on this podcast, is I do not like fading the OG OG fighters. And Glover Teixeira qualifies times 10 for the OG OG MMA fighter. They're too savvy. They're too skillful. They're like the Diego Sanchez that just don't want to die when you want them to die. Like they just they just keep coming. So that that one little rule of mine saved me because I love Krilov a lot personally. And if I would have put my heart on it, I would have ate my my ass and everything. So I think that uh, thankfully, like I said, you make certain rules. And another rule that I have is uh, a heavyweight fights. I, I just I don't like betting heavyweight fights. It's very, very rare where I'll ever give one out. It's just because one hit behind the head and all of a sudden your your fighter is just gone and it, it gets ridiculous. So I uh, disappointed in Nikita Krilov, uh, but Glover Teixeira, man, look at his at his age, be doing what he's doing to these young kids. It's it's really impressive because he's one of the only guys that's kind of just got a thing going on, you know, a win, a lose, a win, a lose or, you know, and he's got it's it's decent. Well, and, and how crazy is it? It's like, I mean, I was looking at his record uh, not long after this fight took place. And his only losses are to the, like, three best guys to ever grace the division, at least in my yeah. opinion. It's like John Jones. He lost to Gustafson, lost to John Jones, and he lost to Rumble. Yeah. It's like there's not, it's kind of, like, there's definitely worse guys to lose. To, and a lot of the other guys at light heavyweight have lost to such guys. But oh no, and he has uh, the he had the decision loss to Corey Anderson. But Corey Anderson is kind of floating around that area, other than the fact that his chin isn't the strongest. Like if 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 if, uh, if Anderson had a vintage Glover type chin, I would put him in the top couple of the division. It's just he can't quite take the beating, and he doesn't have the raw power. But to only lose to those guys and Glover, I think Glover is on a. Either on a, this, I think this marks a third, uh, a, a three fight win streak. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and at light heavyweight, it's like if John Jones wasn't champion, if anybody else was champion, he would probably be fighting the championship right now because to have that type of win streak at light heavyweight is fewer and few and far between. But he's kind of in no man's land, training in his garage with almost no training partners. I mean, uh, Shoeface, I believe, is in his camp, and like I don't think there's anyone bigger than a welterweight that is in his camp except for himself. And the fact that he's still doing the thing, I mean, it's just, it's impressive. I, I can't talk down on him. And I, I, I want Krylov to be that guy so bad. But I even, like, I bet him pretty big in his uh, return fight against Jan Blakowicz. I mean, that wouldn't be the first time that Jan Blakowicz has cost me some money. But <laughs> I bet him there, too. Yeah, but I, I just, same thing. Like, the, he has the speed. He has the just... A killer instinct. He's like all the stuff you want, but then like the, the the bases he doesn't have. He has like all the flash, but none of the base. It's it's very frustrating. Now now before I hyperventilate talking about how Krylov is not who we want him to be, uh, we're gonna move on to the next fight, which I know made me happy. I know made you happy. Uh, on the other podcast, we straight called this fight. 
Like very few times do you get, you might get a result, right? But very few times you get like exactly what's going to go down in the round. It's going to go down how it's going to go down. Like we called this fight. And I'm actually almost mad. I know you and I have talked about this mad, how well we called it. Cause we bet gauge you straight. Okay. It was right after the price dip after everyone was freaking out over his eye infection. Okay. If you ever hear anything about Gagey's eye, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. No, the dude's borderline blind in the cage. That he, yeah. is. he has terrible sure. eyesight. He has like Coke bottle glasses just to be able to see. It's why his initial fighting style was how it was. So we can get close to you and get hands on you. So he knows where you are. That's how bad his eyes are. So if he has a little bit of an eye issue with an infection, he's in the same state he's always in going into every fight. <laughs> so we got it at minus 185. Uh, but I'm, the reason I'm upset is how good we called it. I, I, know, I know I talked to you and talked to a few of the guys uh, on the team that we'll talk about over the course of this, uh, doing this podcast and maybe bring on, and they actually also might have some content on the podcast side or the YouTube side on this channel. So by keep your eyes open was how much I liked gauging in round one, but I do not have the best history with props. That's why for the most part, my rules currently, unless something is absolutely glaring, I stick with, with money line or straight bets, but man, I like gauging in round one. I really, really liked it. And one of the other guys brought up putting a little bit on round one, a little bit round two. I'm like, no, but if I know, if, <laughs> I know if I bet it, he's going to like get the finish in round three. I'm just that paranoid about the dang thing. Like even I had a long conversation. It was uh, when it was Pettis versus uh, Max Holloway. I saw that fight going exactly how it went, but I played rounds four and five for the finish for Max. And the finish was in round three. Like that's how <laughs> paranoid I am about this stuff. I just thought Pettis could last a little bit longer. And this one, I knew, Tony would get out of there, but uh, which God, I'm frustrated about that. Sorry, sorry. Pausing, pausing, regaining composure. Um, I actually really like uh, Gagey in this fight because he did show a few new wrinkles. He wasn't just like balls to the wall, gonna attack Cerrone. I mean, he did that obviously, but he actually threw counter shots. He lined everything up. He had a little bit more defense, which is great to see from him. And this now marks, I believe, his third first round finish in a row that that's awesome um what's your uh, i guess what's your thought on a fight and uh who do you think's next for for gagey i mean i mean i know everyone's bringing up either connor or the uh khabib ferguson winner i mean gagey's the one who brought up the khabib ferguson winner which i which i like that too and i hope that happens because i i'm still one to think that uh the connor fight's a little bit of a nightmare match for him so i go okay so how do you feel about those matchups who else would you like to see him fight? And then uh, if you could bring up something about Cerrone, just where you see him in the division. I mean, who you see him fighting next. I mean, I guess I haven't even thought about that. So while you go, I'll try to think of a good opponent for Cerrone, preferably at 55, I guess, but go ahead. Well, um, Justin Gaethy, he's absolutely amazing, man. He's a destroyer. I, 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 every, I, I actually, was a Justin Gaethy hater. Um, I used to think that, that uh, man, that he wasn't that good, that his striking was garbage. I, I, this was like in the World Series of Fighting type days. I, um, I think he beat Brian Foster with some leg kicks. And then Dude, I, I, if it changed. makes you feel better, 
Foster, I bet I'm Brian Foster in that fight because I thought the moment he fought someone that actually had a yep. full game, they'd be able to yep. beat him. So I, I lost so, on that one too. So I had Brian Foster in that fight, and uh, I lost that money real fast with those kicks. That was the day that I decided, wow, dude, this guy is a lot better than you thought. You need to pay more attention to lower leg kicks, especially the calf, the knee area, that um, the damaging area. It's, it is so amazing to watch him and the power that he throws into these kicks, dude. I know we talk about Barbosa, but Bar- Barbosa, is, this is the new Barbosa. This is a different level type of Barbosa. This is, it, it's absolutely devastating what he's throwing into these leg kicks, and it's just leg kicks. And then not to mention he's a world-class wrestler. Uh, like you and I called, I knew that Donald Cerrone was going to be in big, big trouble. Justin Gaethje's world wrestling is top notch. It's better. That it was going to be better than Donald Cerrone's every bit on that. And every, any day, we knew that. So then I knew that uh, Donald Cerrone also had body shot problems. He does not like being pressured. And so we called that to a T. Um, Justin Gaethje uh, impresses me more and more every single time he goes into the ring. The way he finished Donald Cerrone and when Donald was uh, on his knee, uh, like on all fours almost, I think maybe with three three po- uh, points down, and he was just looking upwards with his eyes basically ghost because he's still not there, but he's trying to stop the next punch. It was it was an amazing, amazing performance. I'm so glad that you and I are uh, one of the guys that were on Gaethje for that um, because uh, a lot of people were just on Cowboy because he's Cowboy, uh, who I'd like to see for uh, Gaethje next. I want to see the winner of Khabib versus Tony for sure. Um, I think that if it is Khabib, that that Gaethje is one of the guys that could possibly beat Khabib because his wrestling is so so world class. We haven't even, we don't even get to see it. So I mean, then I think his striking is better than Khabib for sure. Kicks. So I think that I think it could be an, a great fight. So I want I want the winner of uh, Tony Khabib, and I see uh, I like Gaethje. I, I, I'm I'm high on him. And uh, for Donald Cerrone, I, it was a great performance, you know. I mean, I, it was what Dana loves, you know, a guy going out there and, and sh- putting on a show for him to get paid half his money. So I, 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 it, it's kind of sad, and it, it was fun to watch in the same bit. I don't know, but Justin Gaethje was so confident walking into the ring that it was amazing to see. Um, he must have known that he had the power, the kicks, and the wrestling to deal with uh, Donald because all I heard before the, the ma- match was about a, a, a kick knockout in practice. Yeah. Um, and I guess for a future match for Cerrone, the only thing that's coming to my mind is uh, Kevin Lee, who's coming back down to lightweight. Uh, Kevin Lee has just enough holes that Cerrone being the veteran could get a, a submission or a win over the course of five rounds. But, I mean, I guess that I would say that's if he wants to keep doing but it's Cerrone. He's going to have to have a special sit-down talk from Dana for him to finally hang everything up. Now, uh, well, at maybe, this point, go ahead. Well, maybe um, then we could do uh, Dustin Poirier versus uh, Cowboy for fun, maybe. I could be down for that. It's two big-name values. That's something like a headliner card. No, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, now, for those that will be checking out a podcast from me and Mike for the first time here, we have a certain order that we're going to be going things in. We just did a little bit of review of the past event we're gonna do a few news and or announcements and then this time is only two there's probably not gonna be many and then transition 
into the preview for the next card. And for the preview, we will always go through the main card, uh, making picks and, and announcing if we do have a bet. Uh, we'll also bring up some fights on the prelims if they're an interesting fight or if we have a bet on it. We will likely not go over the entire card all the time for time's sake, but we will for sure hit the big fights for everybody. Now, as far as the news goes, it's a little bit of a somber moment for me because if anyone knows anything about me or follows me on Twitter and sees what my current avatar is, my guy is David Branch, the original uh, champ champ from World Series of Fighting who was doing the dang thing. Uh, He just got popped by USADA for uh, what I believe is an HGH precursor. Uh, He got a two-year suspension, but also since he's coming off uh, not the best record, the UFC has decided to release him. Um, Sad day for me, but I mean, I guess David Branch can go back to what was WSOF and go to try to get a million dollars in any one of those tournaments. So uh, I guess uh, what's your thought on David Branch popping? And I guess uh, what organization would you like to see him fight next? Because we all know he's not going to retire. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's not surprising that he finally got popped with something. I mean, he, he is one of the older guys. It is kind of hard to keep up with uh, the younger generation. And I so I don't really blame him too much. I don't know what he got popped for exactly. And it's kind of sad. Uh, he's... He's one of the more impressive jujitsu guys um, when it comes to like he he had some decent striking so he 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 did a couple things that impressed me in his UFC uh, fights so I I, I mean he, he always has that on his resume and I, I definitely see him going over there at the PFL with a such a close relationship with those guys. Now one thing we like to try to do. Um is in one of the news or announcements have something linked to the upcoming card to kind of have a nice little transition. Now, if anybody was a fan of the sport uh, in 2012, obviously not that long ago, but in the early goings of the Fox deal, Jeremy Stevens got put in jail for having a war- an outstanding warrant for his arrest. Now, this is a big deal because he was also supposed to be main eventing uh, Minneapolis card against Dean Thomas. Okay. Now Dana loves Jeremy Stevens. Always has. Stevens has been in the UFC since 2007 when he was 20, I think. So Dana was at, this is the part of the story that not a lot of people know. They know that Dana tried to bail him out. And that was the extent of it. They heard that he went to great lengths to try to get him out. He wasn't actually ever able to get him out. But the little tidbit of news that came out today uh, on SB Nation was that Dana was currently in a meeting with Ronda Rousey. So when this all went down, he went with Ronda Rousey. He grabbed $150,000, went to this jail to try to bail him out, and they still wouldn't release him. Now, first off, that's just absolutely bonkers and crazy. And just bringing up a nice little tidbit of the, I guess, the B-side of our main event. I'm only saying B-side. Because it's in Mexico and he's fighting Yari Rodriguez. Now, now going into that actual fight card, this is for UFC Mexico City. Now, the first fight we're going to talk about was brought up by Mike. So in a little bit, I'm going to tee him up to talk about it for the most part. But it is Angela Hill 
against Ariani Carnalosi. Uh, Angela Hill is of the minus 150 favorite. Uh, Ariani is plus 130. Angela Hill is a Muay Thai fighter who also likes to get pushed up against the cage by stronger people. Now, go ahead, Mike, because I know you have a little bit more insight on the actual match itself. Yeah, um, Ariana Colossi, um, she is a really, really aggressive girl. She, she, if you go and watch tape on her, she is very, very much like um, Jessica Andrade, but I, I think has a little bit better striking uh, earlier on. So I, I, I just see this as a, a very good debut against Angela Hill, who we all know is very, very small. She, um, thin, too. She doesn't have a good base. She's pretty easy to back up against the cage and throw bombs to and knees. Um, if you look at Carnalasi's uh, tape, the way that she throws knees in the clinch and the way that she throws punches, she throws them to hurt somebody. She is she is not playing games. Um, I see her as a very good value as an underdog. I think that in in a girls in girls fighting in general, they should almost all be pickums. This I I know they got Angela Hill as the favorite because she's just had more UFC fights, right? Well, it doesn't mean that she's going to be able to take these knees to the body from Ariani. If she lands a couple of these knees to the body that I'm talking about in the devastating fashion that she, I know she can, she's gonna she's gonna hurt Hill pretty bad. So I don't know if she's gonna finish Hill, but I think she can get a decision win and impress some people. Um, so I, I think if anyone likes a little underdog shot on the girls fight, I think this Ariani chick is, is definitely value. So you had, if you had to pick one based off of value, who would you pick in this fight? Oh, I, I, Ariani, uh, Carnalasi, I, I, money line. I just, I, I just see her winning. Um, I, I maybe he'll go win the first round, but that's going to be Ariani's best round. So I don't think, I just don't even see her winning the first and that's just, that's me being a little biased, but I think that this is a great spot for Ariani to unload on Angela. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. And uh, so I'm also picking Ariani. Now, these picks are not bets. These picks are just the sides that we like sometimes with the odds favored in and sometimes just the matchup. But when we do have bets, we will let you know, and then we'll also review those at the end. Uh, now, the next fight is Martin Bravo. For Steven Peterson. It is currently minus 110 apiece. Pick them fight. What way are you leaning in this one? Well, um, the only thing that scares me is this is in Mexico City. And elevation is a very, very big factor. So the cardio to, in this matchup is, a, you know, obviously is a, a native Mexican versus a, a, white, a white guy from the USA. So I, I don't. I don't like the fact that I Bravo probably has the cardio advantage, but Steven Peterson has, I think the better striking and I think has good enough deep, uh, takedown defense to, um, withstand Bravo. But Bravo does not have a good chin. Uh, he's shown that I think when he got clipped and knocked out in his tough finale fight. And, um, I, so I, I would favor Steven Peterson in this. I like his aggressiveness and his striking. Well, this is where we have, a little bit of dissension. Uh, I'm actually going to go with Martin Bravo on this one. Again, this is just a pick. Uh, partly because of the fact that it's in New Mexico. Not necessarily even the cardio and the elevation, although I do think that will be part of it. I just think 
there's a series of uh, fighters on this card. There's the two main gyms uh, in Mexico, as far as I'm able to ascertain. And Martin Bravo is on one with probably three quarters of the other card. And I just get the feeling that if it's close at, at all, which I think it will be, I think this is actually going to be a really, really good entertaining fight, but close that the decision is going to sway Martin Bravo's way. So that's the reason I'm leaning for him, even though I do agree that Peterson is the better striker. I just think if it's close at all, which it has a chance to be, the judges are going to go with Bravo. So as far oh, as yeah. a pick, but no bet, I'm going to go with Bravo. Now, yeah, in the next got, fight, go ahead. You got, to factor in, you got to factor in the home cooking, just like you said. Oh, absolutely. Okay, now then, this next fight, I highly doubt we're going to disagree on this one, but... Is this borderline embarrassing how much of a showcase fight this is going to be? Okay, this, this is Irene Aldana versus Vanessa Mello. Okay, now Irene Aldana is minus 535 against Vanessa Mello at plus 420. Now, when they first brought in a bunch of fe- the female Mexican fighters into the UFC, the two people they were grooming from the beginning who trained in the same camp is Irene Aldana and Alexa Grasso. Alexa Grasso had a little more success early. And but either way, they've been grooming these two women. And I I just I'll I'll just go ahead right away. I just think it's an absolute showcase fight. They want her to do well, they want her to be a star here. And I'm not any breaking news here that I'm gonna pick the gigantic favorite, but I think she's rightfully the favorite. Minus five thirty five is getting a little bit crazy, but at this point everyone's parlaying her up. But I, I, I think she's superior almost everywhere and is probably going to cruise to a pretty wide decision no home cooking needed for this one in my opinion what do you think mike yeah the, i mean i i've been following uh rena aldana and, and alexa grasso since they started this little journey and the uh, ufc started grooming them like you you spotlighted i i <clears throat> who is vanessa mello exactly and she's her debut fight is versus Irene aldana i mean that, that doesn't sound or look good she, Aldana should style on this girl and uh, do whatever she wants to do to Caramello, Vanessa, whatever her name is. And I, I, I just uh, the UFC wants Aldana to win. She's a little, she's a star in the making, you know, for them. And I, I, I just, I, hundred percent, this is a parlay piece. And the only way this gets broken up is some crazy judges. Oh yeah, and I, because Irina, Irene Aldana has shown a pretty good chin. Her boxing is crisp. She's got a decent sprawl. She actually moves fairly well laterally. So, and, and even just being able to move laterally and strike, that's going to put you ahead against three quarters of the female divisions. Now, going on to the next fight, this fight actually, uh, I will go first on this one because I do have a bet in this next fight. Uh, the next fight is Brandon Moreno versus Askar Askarov. Brandon Moreno was, uh, uh, a, is a tough alum. He did not win tough. Uh, he lost, I believe, it wasn't in the finale, but just before against uh, Pantoja. He actually rematched him later and still couldn't beat him, but uh, has a win over Dustin Ortiz. Uh, currently, his only two losses actually in the UFC are diverse Pantoja and also against uh, Sergio Pettis, two of the higher class of the flyweight division. Um, he got cut after those losses. He got a quick win in LFA, and now he's back. Now, they're back in Mexico City, and after the UFC decided, decided they're still going to keep a flyweight division. Um, I really like Brandon Moreno. I always have. I think he, his skill is finally starting to catch up to his athleticism. He's still really young. He's 25, 
but he has got some world-class competition already under his belt. A ton of UFC experience has felt what it's like to get booted out, came back with a vengeance with a finish to get brought back in. And he's current, he's currently plus 140 against uh, Askar Askarov at minus 160. I'm putting a little star on that odds because I actually bet him a little bit earlier when he was a uh, plus 145. But I guess the bet we'll be giving out would be the plus 140. Um, Askar Askarov is a veteran of the ACB. So, so judging by looking over his record and watching a few of his fights, he was one of the guys they liked. So he got set up in such a way to look really, really good. That's in my opinion. Now, most of his wins are by submission. He's actually pretty good on the ground. But one thing I don't think he's going to be able to handle is Brandon Moreno's scrambling ability. Uh, the only thing that ever worries me about Brandon Moreno is him going too hard early. It's kind of a, a young guy's thing, going too hard early and then fading later. It's what hurt him so bad against Sergio Pettis. Because if you rewatch that fight, he 10 aided Sergio Pettis in the first round. It was utter domination. But he did not get the finish. He slowed down dramatically and then lost the rest of the fight. Now, also, this Askar Askarov is no Sergio Pettis, but he's decent. So if this was a pick fight, I might stay away. I still like the Moreno side, but I'd probably stay away. But to get such big dog odds on Moreno, on a guy who I think should be even slightly favored in this matchup, I can't turn it away. So I currently have, have a bet on it for one unit at plus 145. And Mike... Where do you land on this fight? Yeah, well, I, I'm definitely going with Brandon Moreno. I um, I, I don't, I, I don't see how the Ascar is going to be able to handle the scrambling ability and the pace that um, Brandon's going to set. He's learned so much in the losses that he's uh, taken. Two of them are from the same, or two, you know, two of the, yeah, two of the last three are from the same guy and uh, Alexander Pantoja. And that's because his Alexander Pantoja is a world-class black belt, which then checkmated Brandon Moreno's world-class jiu-jitsu as well, you know? So that that was frustrating for him. And so I, I, I the experience edge-wise is all over Brandon Moreno's side. The jiu-jitsu, to me, is going to be on his side as well. I, I So... Unless this little Russian dude is some crazy striker, which he, he he likes to submit people more than he likes to just strike, um, I just don't see it. I don't even know how we're getting um, dog odds on Brandon Moreno, besides the fact that the other guy's just undefeated and everyone's excited about Russians because of Khabib. But if they liked this Russian that much, they would have put him on the uh, Dubai card or they would have put him on the Russia card or something closer to home. Um that's just my opinion. I would definitely follow your Brandon Moreno money line. I think it's got a lot, a lot of value. Now, in the Kona main event of this fight card, you have one of the other women that the UFC has been really high on from Mexico. It's Carlos Sparza versus Alex Grasso. Alex Grasso is the native Mexican. Carlos Sparza is a high school wrestler feel like she did some collegiate, but I'm not sure. But she has more of a wrestling base than most other women, especially in this division. This is 115. Lex Grasso has the boxing background. It's actually pretty slick. How do you see this fight going, Mike? 
Well, I, I'm I've all, I've been big on Grasso since the beginning. I really like her striking. It's for the women's division. I think is pretty crisp and sharp. I I, I think she, boxing wise, should eat up the Cookie Monster Carla Esparza all day. I don't I don't see any edge there besides uh, Carla Esparza's wrestling, and possibly, possibly could get a submission. But I just don't. I don't see it. I think this is the end of Carlos Barza's road. I think that the UFC sees the, the upside of Alexa Grasso, and then uh, Alexa Grasso is going to perform for the first time in front of her country uh, and, and get a huge win. I do think Alexa Grasso is going to win, and she actually has fairly decent odds right now. She's minus 125, so get, getting closer to even money. She gets anywhere near even money. That's, you know, I would start looking a little bit closer on that. Um, Asparza definitely has a path to victory. Um, like you said, the wrestling. Um, but she gets so gun shy in the striking exchanges that she starts shooting from way too far out. And the further out she tries to go forward for, the easier it is to sprawl or sidestep or, or just get out of the way. Now, if she was a. If the odds on Esparza were better, because a plus one hundred five, I, I don't, I don't think that's worth the risk. I mean, I know her like best friend and training partner, Felice Herrick, beat Alexa Grasso in wrestling, basically, and Esparza is the better wrestler than Herrick, and actually beat Herrick way back in the day with wrestling. But I don't think she's get she she's over the hill in fight years, fight experience, everything. She slipped up so much recently. Like she's a shell of what she used to be as a fighter. Like coming up through Invicta and even early on in the UFC, she never really advanced past what she was, and she still thinks the same stuff works. But you have women like Alex Grasso that has so much more nuanced and like depth of uh, boxing and striking than they than the female fighters used to. And Carla Esparza is just throwing wild punches. And I do think that she can get Alexa Grasso down if she she gets in the right position. I do think she can get her down. I do think she can hold her down. I don't think she'll do the damage to finish her. But similar, like we talked about on on an earlier fight card, it's like if this goes to decision, Grasso is almost guaranteed to be going to be doing more damage to Esparza. As far as I might have control for more of the fight, but I don't know. At plus one hundred five, I, I can't take the shot at Carla. She has too many brain lapses and doesn't even go to her powerhouse wrestling when she needs to, and is hesitant, gun shy. So I honestly, I was, even when I was gonna start talking, I was thinking of just bringing up Asparza because she's a dog and. All that stuff, but I don't know, man. I, I think I'm just gonna have to uh, echo what you said. I don't think I'm gonna have to go with Grasso. I just think, given where she's at, given her boxing, given the camp that she's at, her training partners, and just the likelihood of judge judge's favoritism, I, I guess you gotta go with Grasso. Okay, now the main event for the UFC Mexico City card is Yair Rodriguez coming off his utterly sensational, ridiculous finish of the Korean zombie with that elbow in like the final second of a five-round fight. Granted, that was 10 months ago, but either 
either way, against Jeremy Stevens, who is actually on a little bit of a skid. He is on a two-fight losing streak. I believe it's at two. It becomes a streak. Maybe three. Either way. Uh, Yair Rodriguez is minus 105. Jeremy Stevens is minus 115. Mike, how do you see this fight going? Well, um, this is going to be my bet for the card. I um, I absolutely love Yair Rodriguez. Um, he's the type of mixed martial artist with some flash that I can get behind. Unless, unlike Michelle Pereira, um, that didn't have doesn't have it all to back it. I think that uh, Yair is so devastating in so many different ways and so diverse that Jeremy Stevens, just like he got styled on by Zabit last fight is going to get styled on all over again by a different guy with a different style. I just, I, I don't, I, whether it's kicks or a punch or um, s- some spinning kick, uh, whatever it wants to be from Yair. I mean, it, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing in my eyes. I just don't see Jeremy Stevens wanting to take the body shots that uh, Yair can dish out with kicks and punches. And so I think it's going to add up over time. And I, I just think that Yair can, uh, I, I think he's going to win this fight easily, but almost possibly uh, finish Stevens. Um, so I'm going to be laying down the, the money line for uh, Yair Rodriguez. And I got him at negative 113. I don't know what he's at right now. He is currently minus 105. So that's actually a good thing. So anyone listening to this now, well, for anyone listening to this now, anyone listening to this now, so it's actually gone down a little bit, which is good for you. It's like you want the closer to even money or even plus money if possible. Uh, in terms yes. of this matchup, from uh, my point of view, uh, I echo a lot of the same things Mike said. I'm going to focus a little bit on Jeremy Stevens because as good as Yair is, and he is, he's very good. Um, I think it's some of Jeremy Stevens' shortcomings that are going to be the way this fight goes. Uh, Jeremy Stevens is a pressure fighter, and I do think Yair can have an issue if you could pressure him back uh, towards the fence. And actually, the Korean Zabi did a great job of that. Uh, in general, I do think the Korean Zabi was winning that fight before he got finished, although it was close. Like, Yair wasn't getting blown out, but I do think Korean Zabi was winning, um, at least winning that round, which eventually got a close but winnable decision before Yair got the finish. But that's one good thing about Yair. He always has the possibility of a finish. Now, as much as Jeremy Stevens can be a pressure fighter, he has a couple different kinds of pressure. He has smart striking pressure where he is going to back you up. He's going to do slight dips. He's going he's gonna to back you up against the fence, and that's where he's going to put on his serious power because he, he does have some serious power when he plants his feet. He has knockout power. But with as much as Yair moves, I don't think he's ever going to get a chance to plant his feet and throw with all his power. And, and Jeremy Stevens will go full barbarian if you piss him off where he'll just run forward, not intelligently like hands down, ready to throw chin up in the air. I'm coming at you. He has that dog in him, And when that comes up, he does not fight smart. Um, and Yair, his output is at the worst spots, double what Jeremy Stevens is. So I just think over the course the fight he's going to be landing the more shots the more meaningful shots the more unorthodox flashy shots and you could say whatever you want about those but when they actually land not like when we were talking about Michelle Pereira the last fight where he's just doing the moves for the sake of doing the moves Yair Rodriguez does the moves and they land which makes him that 
much more impressive to judges. So I mean, Stevens has the possibility to back up Yair against the fans. Yeah, Jeremy does have kind of a weird cardio. Like he has really, really good cardio. Like it's borderline. It's very, very impressive. I got to give him that since he got down to 145 with all the additional running he does to maintain that weight and all the other stuff he does moonlighting, doing some stuff with uh, Tony Ferguson and just, he's got it even in, he's been down for her interview uh, six weeks. He's already been down in Mexico city. I think seven by the time the actual fight takes place. So he's acclimated, but I still think all of the X factors are in Yair Rodriguez's favor. I'm holding off on a bet a little bit. Um, If he even touches plus money, it will have to be an auto bet. Um, Another thing that you'll see on the MMA for Money Twitter is it will share all of the guys that have a connection to the site or to the show, and it will share the bets that they make on Twitter. Because we will only give one to two, at most three official ones for the podcast. But sometimes we do add other bets later and also other guys that write for the site who are in relation with the site will also give out plays and those will get retweeted as well. So you have all the action you could ever want on a fight card. Now to review the bets that we have for this fight card in terms of me and Mike, I have a bet on Brandon Moreno at plus 145 for one unit. So that's one unit to win 1.45 units. And Mike has a bet at the money line. He got a minus 113, but now is minus 105 to win one unit. Okay. So as far as this goes, you have two possible bets for this card. And we both agree with both sides of there. So it's not quite doubling down, but it's close. Now, in closing, I want to thank everyone for listening to this. I want you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which should be up or about to be up. In the future, I'd be asking you to rate, review, subscribe the whole spiel once we're back on iTunes. But currently, we're starting in the new place. But uh, before we say goodbye, I just want to thank you all for listening. And Mike, do you got anything you want to close out with us saying? No, it's just been a pleasure talking with you, Bob. And uh, I hope that all you guys look forward to listening to us each week. And we'll provide you with a much clearer outline and uh, something that you could uh, consistently come back each week and uh, listen to and get some good uh, analysis. And we're up for talking on Twitter. We are going to try our best to give you guys great content on here. Uh, There's also other things on the pipeline that will be in related to the show and the YouTube channel and the website. Basically, it's just going to be more content for you guys. So again, thank you for listening to the MMA for Money show. Uh, Until next time, if you get a hankering for a little bit more MMA, go check out www.mmaformoney.com for additional write-ups and breakdowns of fights we may not have even covered. So go check it out. Peace.